Welcome back to Transformative Teaching. I am Katie Metz. We are Facet at IU and my co-host Michael Maroney is the best of us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. I'm super excited today, Michael, because we are joined by a member of the 2022 Facet class, an excellent class, if I may say so myself. I agree. My spouse is part of that class as well. Um, Kathy Berlin is moment of, a moment of bias. No <laughs> bias whatsoever in any of, of course this. Not. Of course none, not. none. Kathy is an associate professor of health sciences at IUPUI and also the director of that undergraduate program. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And congratulations. I, I'm know, so I, excited. I am excited too. As I was saying earlier, this becoming a member of FACET was a goal of mine since the day that I joined IUPUI. I just, um, everything that this organization does, I think is incredible. And I truly feel like it's an honor to be a part of FACET. Kathy, I remember reading your dossier, as weird as that is going to sound, Um, because it was a million years ago, it feels like. And one thing that really stood out to me when reading it, because like, as an accountant, I know nothing about any of this stuff. And so I read something outside, I just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But tell me a little bit about your work in the classroom, in your discipline. So I, um, that feasibility of utilizing health education specialists and physician practices. I remember you talking a lot about health um, risk, can you just talk a little bit more about, about your discipline and how it um, translates into the classroom environment? Um, well, if, if our, in our discipline, what we are doing is the students that get a degree in health sciences are all looking at going into the healthcare industry. So we, we kind of kid around that it's an acronym suit. When you ask them what they want to be as a freshman, it's an MD, PA, OT, PT, you know, MP. So um, they're all focused on becoming a professional. So our degree is really looking at making them a well-rounded individual. So they could get a chemistry degree or a biology degree and be qualified to apply to these professional programs, but our core is really small. So they can take, they can get a degree in health sciences and still have a pre-professional track that allows them to be, to get their qualifications to apply to OT, PT, MD, whatever it is they wanna do. But then we really focus on teaching them about the healthcare industry, which I think is one of the beauties of our degree, because we talk to them about legal, you know, legal and regulatory issues. We talk about ethics. We talk about diversity and cultural competence. We teach Mm. them characteristics of the U.S. healthcare system. Wow. You, you would be amazed at how many 18-year-olds have no idea how insurance works. They have no understanding that Medicare and Medicaid are two different things. Um, the Affordable Care Act is something they've heard mentioned, but they don't know what it is. Um, so our degree really gives makes them into these well-rounded professionals that have a solid understanding of healthcare. And so that's a lot of what our classes and our teaching are about. That's super interesting. Uh, So you've got, it sounds like you get um, a pretty interdisciplinary 
set of students. And not only that, then you have this really kind of broad curriculum. So you've got kind of a lot of diversity happening on both ends, <laughs> the, the students that are coming in and the things that you're, things that you're teaching. And I find that really fascinating. And um, I, I'm wondering how that kind of um, all of that together kind of comes together in a class that you would put together. Well, it, it depends. Actually, it depends on the class that I am teaching. I think one of the where it really comes together is one of my favorite classes, and that's diversity issues and health and rehabilitation. And so even if you look at um, what we are, I consider our degree program fortunate in that we have a very diverse population of students where as some degrees on campus may be, you know, all white students, just about, I think, I think engineering is predominantly white students. We have a really good mix of, of different cultures and ethnicities in our students. So when we're teaching in a classroom, especially something like diversity issues, it, we have this wonderful opportunity to hear from students with different backgrounds, different cultures, different ways that they were raised. I mean, it is fascinating. It, it's absolutely fascinating. So if you look at even the word illness, illness has different definitions to in different countries. If you're in Africa and you get malaria, it's like, oh yeah, I got malaria. And it's kind of like it's a common cold because wow. they're so used to dealing with malaria. It is just prevalent in their life. Here, if we've had an outbreak of malaria, we'd probably go back to COVID times, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's just not part of our culture. So it's fascinating to work with these students. And if you think about healthcare professionals, one of our big things that we want is for them to be culturally competent. We want them to understand that not everybody views health, wellness, and illness in the same perspective. And so what we try to teach them is to, you have to understand how someone else is going to view this, and then you've got to adjust your practice. So the fact that we have a really diverse group of students coming in, uh, just all kinds of countries and different ethnicities it's it's a great teaching opportunity so great i'm teaching not sure opportunity. if that answered your question i'm talking more about our population than i'm gonna i have a follow-up though <laughs> <laughs> okay. because because you i mean what what you're describing uh, kind of really feeds into what i was wondering about and then basically you as an instructor in this scenario where you've got this diverse student base demographically and this broad um broad topic. Um, I don't know if broad is the right word, but a, a topic that is able to be interpreted in many different ways and can matter in many different ways. Um, it to me says that you've got to be incredibly intellectually agile when you're teaching classes in those situations. And I'm wondering how that plays out and help how you help your students succeed. Well, I, I think the first thing that um, our instructors, and in fact, uh, in that facet dossier, the learning reflective, the narrative that I used was that I teach first year students, and uh, which is kind of scary for a lot of people. A lot of instructors mm -hmm. are like, don't give me the freshmen, right? And I love them, but 
when they come in, our entire goal is to make them feel like they belong. So it's about, it's about belonging and transitioning. So to do that, though, we have to truly understand where they're coming from. And we have to try to level the playing field and say, all right, you all have different backgrounds. And it doesn't matter if you're from, you know, Saudi or whether you're from Mexico or Africa, if you're from Nigeria. I mean, I'm listing students that I had in class last fall. Um, so we have to figure out when I say we, myself and the other first year instructors, because we work very closely together, we have to figure out what they're used to and how to adjust our teaching to make sure that we're very inclusive, that we, that we don't, um, how, how could I put this, that we're not making assumptions about the way they learn and what's what's that we don't westernize them does that make sense it does it does um, i mean so what have you seen this kind of go awry where you you know somebody just was not responsive to kind of the ways you were teaching have you had kind of a moment like that where it was just extraordinarily difficult um, we, we ha i have and yeah. what i've literally done is either ask the student to stay afterward or met with them at another time and then ask them and talk to them. Mm -hmm. You know, what? It, how are you used to learning? What can yeah. we do? How can we adjust this to make sure? And I tell you, I've been teaching for, I don't know, 11, 12 years now in higher ed. And just having these conversations with students has really made the difference. And it helps me understand, okay, I know that this is something I need to do. And I, I think it's really interesting, Michael, that you said that you have to be intellectually um, adaptive or, you know, you have to kind of look at it. And for my, my professor dossier that I'm putting together, I went back and I looked at my student evaluations and I was amazed at how many students said, oh, Dr. Berlin is so intelligent. She's just brilliant. Mm. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? And um, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, where is this coming from? And yet it was, it was so many comments were made on it that I started to think, well, am I intelligent? And, <laughs> and it, I know it's a terrible thing to think, but I thought, no, it's just that I've been fortunate that I've had the experience to work with so many students and and keep in mind, I also, uh, my undergraduate degree was in K through 12 uh, teaching it, I was a physical educator. So I have, I've been fortunate that unlike a lot of academia, I was trained on how to teach. And mm -hmm. so that was part of my undergrad certification and then even my master's. So okay. I've had that great background of understanding education and working with students and learning how to adapt. So I don't know. I don't know if it is intellectually adaptive or it's just experience and listening to students. I, I just I, I, I think that is one of the critical things is just reach out to students, talk to them, listen to them, ask them, ask them, what can I do? Yeah. So. It's amazing how important listening is just mm -hmm. in life in general. But uh, in our in our, you know, when we're educators, 
Um, if you're not listening, you don't know where your students are. You don't know where they're coming from. And obviously that can be a big issue in your field. It's, I think it's an issue probably in every field. Um, I want to follow up on that too, because it, it sounds like, you know, you're really enthusiastic about this. We talk a lot about the listening piece of it. I also am writing a dossier right now. And so I'm really in the weeds here. And I'm, I'm curious, Kathy, from your perspective, how you translate that listening piece into engagement with your students' feedback. So really that um, taking it beyond just we're sitting here, we're having conversations, we are learning about our students into meaningful touch points or revisions in the classroom. So I, I was at Indiana State University before I came here. And when we were there every single year, when we did our annual review, it was required that we did a self-reflection on our evaluations on our student evaluations. And so we had to go in and write this up. We had to read our student evaluations and say, all right, what did they say? What did they tell us we needed to change? What did they not? And then you had to make changes. So I was indoctrinated from the very get-go that we were to reflect and we were to listen to students. And so when I talked to students about these evaluations, I said, listen, when you when you do these evaluations, please be objective, be specific. So whether you love me or you hate me, tell me why, but don't tell me it's because you like the shoes I wore today or because <laughs> right. my hair looked good. Or you tell just me. don't like the subject. Right, right. You were so great, but I just hate health sciences. <laughs> yes, yes. So give me specific things that, what am I doing in the classroom that you like, that you don't like? So. I find that students would do that. And I've made changes over the years. And, and what I would do is like I had a junior class and they had, I was teaching a communicable and chronic disease course. And I did, I had taken quizzes out every week because I thought, oh, they hate the quizzes. It's just so much. I'd taken them out in the class and I took it out. So we, we think you should have put quizzes in here. We should have had mm -hmm. weekly quizzes. So I said, all right, I'm putting them back in. Mm -hmm. So, but I let the students know that. I sent them all an email and said, thank you for your feedback. Overwhelmingly, you think I should do this. So I've changed my course and I'm going to start doing this moving forward. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is take that evaluation, but I reach back out to the students and I, as a class, because I don't know who tells me what, I say, here's some of the feedback I got from you all. I appreciate this. And here's the changes I'm going to make in my course. And so then if the students are hearing that, especially early in their, their career, they start to value the fact that their voice matters. And so, and they know that I'm listening to them. They know that I'm making adjustments based on what they're saying. That's great. Yeah. Uh, not not enough people do these um, mid-semester um, feedback requests, uh, and and it'd be nice if that was kind of ubiquitous. And and Katie, have I haven't heard of IU having any department that's that says please read your evaluations and write up a reflection on. Yeah, that. well, or, or not just the evaluations because the university faculty council, as we've talked about many times here and elsewhere, is moving away from set score data as yeah, yeah. a metric for evaluation. But you can still reflect on it. Even, and that's, even that, if, so yeah. that's exactly where I was going with that. You can reflect yeah. on that. But I think more importantly, you can ask your students informally, whether that's through a mid-semester evaluation. I don't 
do mid-semester evaluations and people are surprised to hear that, but I have so many informal conversations with my students between classes. If I have a team staying late, I go, hey, how's it going? Um, and, and I get so much good feedback. And I would say, um, and Kathy, I'd love to hear from your perspective on this too, although I know it's not something we've specifically talked about yet, but on the accessibility of my class, how easy is it for you to get to the materials? How easy is it for you to digest and process this every day? And you get so much good feedback that I agree, Michael, we should be writing about, we should be required to write about, yeah. even if it's just a little, here's what I learned this semester. But you know, as the undergraduate program director, and I have, I deal with like our faculty, especially our incoming faculty, I work with our associate faculty. I, this is something I tell all of them to do. I say at the end of the semester, you need to write a reflection. It's not required. I'm not going to tell you, you have to do it, but I really encourage you to do this and then add it to your digital measures. So someone can go in there and see your reflection and you can, the university, I don't, IUPUI actually has a template for a self-reflection. I don't know how many people are aware of that. And so I send that link to faculty and say, you can use this or you can do something else, but get into the habit of reflecting and, and being able to show how you're changing your teaching to adapt to student needs. And we have to, we have to be able to change. I had someone one time say to me, oh, I don't care what generation these students are. They just need to do their work and get it submitted. And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> Does that make you go, no, 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 no don't, don't say that out loud. Um, don't do I it. I think it makes a difference. It, it makes a huge difference. We've started on our online courses because our degree, you can take it entirely online, entirely face-to-face, -face, or as a hybrid of the two. And on our online courses, our faculty now make videos, instructional videos that are only four to five minutes. Yeah. I, you know, I kid my students all the time. I say, I know it's hard to watch a video that's five minutes long, but <laughs> I just can't get over that you guys can watch Avengers Endgame and for three and a half hours. But you can't concentrate on content for four right, minutes. Right. But the right. research supports that eight minutes is the absolute outside end of what we should expect attention spans to be. And we should, we should use Unless it's Avengers. Unless it's yes. Avengers <laughs> or a video game or something, which is great, yeah. though, but we should be taking that feedback, that research that we know is there and actually using it rather than going, yeah, but they, they can do, go longer than that or right. even, yeah, they can watch a movie. Totally. Um, how does that intersect I'm going way off the rails here. I'm enjoying that part. <laughs> um, how does it intersect with peer feedback for you, Kathy? And I'm asking you this as fast a class of 2022, somebody who had to get two peer evaluations to, you know, complete your dossier there. Full professor is probably a similar thing where you're getting a lot of feedback from other people. So how does that engagement with student feedback intersect for you, whether you personally or um, with other people in your department, feedback from other people from other faculty from peers from peers i i feel that we don't that we need to use it more i think peer feed, feedback is is so good and again i i know the time and and when i say that what we did at indiana state university they were primarily a teaching institution and iu isn't we, we're more research focused so um there's a difference there, but I, I think peer 
evaluations or just peer observations are really good for both parties. Uh, I was in, there's something that I would like to instigate at our university. I, I did this before. It was called a teaching triangle in which you were paired up with two other teachers and each of you went in and observed the other teacher's class. You sat in their class and observed them. And then you would get together afterwards and you would discuss what did they do that you really liked? What did they do that, that bothered you? And so you had this great opportunity to inter, interact with two other instructors in different disciplines. So mm, that's they, great. the fact that they were in different disciplines was great because it's like, wow, I really like what you all are doing in math. I, I could use this in this class. And so it was nothing super formal, but at the same time, it was so informative. And we would write up like a summary of what we saw. And I loved it. Um, I, I told Michael, I'm working on, I've kind of put it on the back burner, but I am working on getting the FACET peer certification because I would like to go to faculty in my, in my school and say, I, I would like to do this for you. I would like to, if you need a peer evaluation, I will come in and observe you, um, not with the goal of being punitive or critical, but with the goal of helping to say, yeah. here's, here's what I'm seeing. And unfortunately, what I see, I'm on the P&T committee. And so sometimes what we see is that people will have these peer evaluations done, but it's their best buddy. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, they did a great job and they're wonderful and and you should see them walk on water. But it's like, could you be a little bit more objective um, <laughs> in terms of what you're doing? Um, so, again, I don't know if I answered your question, but I do think that peer evaluations is so helpful. I am yeah. a big advocate of faculty working together to um, make sure that we're all on the right track, that we're on the same track for student success. That's big goal of mine. That's the end goal. And that's so cool. Um, obviously, listeners out there, this is audio only, but I'm nodding my head so hard on the video. I'm practically giving myself a concussion because everybody, <laughs> everything you're saying, Kathy, is like exactly on point, I think. And just just for the record, I'll, I'll give another plug for that peer review certification. I got it in around 2016. I was doing a lot of work interdepartment and thought I should do it. And something I think you'll find beneficial in getting that certificate is that it's not just in your department, but I have observed so many people, not just outside of my own school, but outside of Bloomington, my own campus. Um, I've received peer observations from people all across the university structure and it's amazing to see the cool things people are doing in the classroom and to be able to share that feedback not just in your discipline but sort of as far-reaching as um the the regional campuses and the corners of the state and it's um it's it's fascinating I super encourage you to do that for okay. your own benefit too yeah I will thank you I appreciate that um and I've just kind of like I said it's taken second place right now behind the dossier you and I are kind of on a similar time frame mine's May yeah. 1st so I that's a self-imposed deadline unfortunately everything takes second place right now and that's okay we got this not those not those cute little babies though so. except for my <laughs> cute little babies they take <laughs> first right. place and they know it yeah exactly so uh, all of this um that we're talking about really kind of feeds into um one thing I'm curious about, and it's like, 
when did the light bulb go on that, hey, I'm actually pretty good at teaching or I'm really great at teaching and I, I want to commit myself to that uh, as a career? So I thought about this question because I, I have a different background. I didn't finish, you know, I, I was a practitioner. I was a journalist, you know, for years and years. I got my degree late. I, I tell my students all the time, don't do that. It's not a great way to get your undergraduate when you have two children. But um, I, um, when I was getting my undergraduate degree, my one of my advisors said to me, so why should I hire you once you get your degree? She goes, so you have a degree in physical education teaching. Why should I hire you? And I was like, oh, I don't know, because I have a degree. And she said, you need to go out and you need to start working and coaching and doing whatever you could. So I did. So I started coaching. I was coaching my kids. I've coached softball. I've coached soccer, inline hockey, um, just all kinds of things, baseball. And I just loved it. And to me, coaching is about teaching. It's teaching. That's it's not really coaching and teaching. As far as I'm concerned, those two words are synonymous. But when I went back to get my doctorate, um, and I did teach, you know, at middle school, elementary, and I I liked it. I I don't know, honestly, I don't know that I ever thought, oh, I'm good at this. I just loved doing it. There's that's hmm. how I felt about it. But when I decided to go back and get my doctorate, my son who was much older at that time, was really upset. And he said, why are you doing this? He said, why are you going to quit coaching? You are a great coach. And I said, well, what do you think teaching is? You know, you have to still mentor, you're guiding, you're teaching, you're supporting, you're facilitating success. The, the basic principles you use in coaching are what you use in teaching. Break the parts down teach them how to do it, have a strategy, give them an opportunity to practice, give them an opportunity to fail, but don't let them fail, right? And so again, I've, I just never, I don't ever think of like, oh, I'm good. And I remember when I talked to Mark Ertel, our, um, the IUPUI rep about applying for FACET, he said he was talking about you have to show your excellence. And I said, well, I, I don't think I am excellence. I think mm. that I'm in pursuit of excellence. And to me, I, if I become excellent, then there's no room for me to grow. There's no room for me to learn. And I don't think I'll ever reach that. I think it's always pursuing excellence. And that's what makes me, quote unquote, good. Mm. OK, so it's the journey. It's the journey and, and taking, participating in all the parts of, of what it, a good teacher participates in, but realizing that there's always something that you could be doing to uh, improve, exactly. which of course is one of IU's core <laughs> uh, notions around being a learning, learning focused in, in, in university. And that's that we believe in continuous improvement. <laughs> right. There's so many good sound bites out of that. I can't even, like I'm sitting here in awe. The journey part of it, everything was so good there. <laughs> Kathy, this is so fascinating. Um, really enjoying not just talking with you, but um, riffing with you, if, as Michael likes to say, he loves that word I about do. you know about just 
the, the continuous improvement we can make in the classroom to, to not to adapt to your students isn't the right word, to make everybody, I think, feel more comfortable, right? Equitable and um, to better ourselves and to write our dossiers, right? Um, Kathy Berlin, Associate Professor in the Department of Health Sciences at IUPUI. Kathy, we really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having- Thank you, Kathy. Uh, for taking the time this morning to be- And thank you for helping out with the journal. Oh, I That's not a plug either. That. I love doing that. So thank I'm you. I'm glad. <laughs> I really do appreciate this opportunity. Thank you.